Let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 4. There's a sermon uh, note page in your bulletin. You might want to pull that out if you want to take some notes. So we're in a series called The Kingdom of God, and it's an expositional study of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in here for a little while. For the last eight weeks, we've been looking at the King of the Kingdom. Matthew's been introducing Jesus Christ to his Jewish readers. And so far, it's been narrative. We said at the beginning of this series that this book is punctuated between narrative and teachings, the works of Jesus and the words of Jesus. And we're about to finish the first long section of the works of Jesus, where we look at the genealogy of Christ, all the way from his birth narrative, all the way to the baptism and temptation narrative. And today we come into the launching of his public ministry. We're still not really hearing his words as much as what Matthew says about his words. And in a couple of weeks, we start with the Sermon on the Mount, and that'll be the big section on the words of Jesus, Matthew 5 through 7. So we've got some really great material coming up. But today, we're looking at this section in Matthew 4, chapter 4, verse 12 through uh, verse 22. That's our sermon text. And you're going to learn this morning that, well, basically, we're going to observe some things about the life of Jesus and his public ministry. And I really am desiring today that this would be sort of a, a gut check on our own lives, where we are in terms of our ministry as an individual, because every one of us have an individual ministry, and we'd also look at what this says to us as a church today. And so we're going to observe what Matthew has to say about the ministry of Jesus, and I'm going to extrapolate that into what this actually means for us. And so with that, let's read the text and just kind of listen for what you think are going to be the charge points today in terms of our own personal ministry and our ministry as a church as we look at the life of Jesus. So follow along, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near." As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. All right, well, today the focus, as you can see from your outline, is a crowning invitation of Jesus' emerging ministry. He's going to call some people to follow him today. We're going to back up and look at this text from sort of an overview to see what are the implications for us. When we look at the life of Jesus and how he did ministry, what can we learn from this text about the way we ought to do ministry personally and as a church. And these are the four things, action points, commands, mandates that I want to share with you today that I hope will be a part of your life as I want them to be a part of mine as well and a part of this church ministry. 
The first is what I see here in verses 12 and 13 as I observe the life of Jesus. I would say it this way, that we should, in our personal ministry and in our corporate ministry as a church, we should look for open doors. Say that out loud with me. We should look for open doors. I like open doors. I don't like closed doors. I like open doors. And we look at what Jesus is doing here in verse 12. It says that when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Now, these are narrative points that are easily crossed over if we're not really focused on where we've been. You remember that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan area from the Baptist, and then he was immediately cast out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's in the southern part of Judea, the southern part of Palestine or Israel as we would know it on a map. And now Jesus, Matthew tells us, is after he hears that John's in prison, he heads up to Galilee, which is about 80 miles as the bird flies north of where Jerusalem is. Why is Jesus changing locations? Why is he going from Jerusalem all the way up into, or from the Judean area up into the region of Galilee? Well, Matthew says it's because he heard that John was in prison. Well, what does that mean? Uh, Now, Matthew's going to come back to the actual story of John being put in prison all the way in chapter 14 of his gospel. And you remember, perhaps, when we started this study, we said that the gospel of Matthew is not completely sequential. There's a lot of jumping forward and jumping back, and we'll see this as the book opens up to us. But here, we just see a little glimpse of something that happened in John the Baptist's life that Matthew doesn't say anything about other than the fact that when Jesus heard that John was placed in prison, uh, Jesus decides to change locations. And then further we read in verse 13 that leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 23, you remember when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus back from Egypt, they nestled into or they settled down in Nazareth. That was his hometown. When Jesus went up to Galilee, it appears first that he went to Nazareth And then he, according to Matthew, leaves Nazareth and he goes to Capernaum. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us what happened in Nazareth, why he would change locations from there to Capernaum, which is just across the lake on the other side. But the book of Luke does tell us, and you could just write in your margin somewhere there. If you want to flip, you can turn and I'll show you what what it looks like. But in Luke chapter 4, of the same context of what's going on here in Matthew, we have this picture of why Jesus leaves Nazareth, okay? And it's, it's right here. Where is it? In my Bible. Are you turning in your Bible? I'm going to turn in mine. Chapter 4. Okay, so, so Luke tells us that when Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, the news about him spread everywhere. And then it says, look at verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Okay, so this is the same narrative that we find in Matthew chapter 4. And on a Sabbath day, he goes into a synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up and read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He's a young rabbi, and he reads the scripture. And he reads Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Oh, this is amazing. This is what all the Jews were waiting for. This was the Jubilee. This was Messiah coming. And Jesus closes the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, sits down and he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing today. And then he goes on to describe the fact that even though I'm fulfilling prophecy, Jesus says, you all are going to reject me soon. And he basically insinuates the rejection of the people of Nazareth. This so infuriates them, if you read in Luke chapter 4, 
that they hustle him out of the city to throw him off the edge of the town. And Jesus escapes from them. Look at verse 30. It says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And that's kind of a curious expression too. I don't know how all that happened. But the point is, maybe that gives us a little insight as to why Jesus, he leaves Judea to go to Galilee. He settles again in Nazareth, but soon he leaves Nazareth and he goes over to to the area of uh, Capernaum. Why? What I'm telling you, what I'm suggesting to you as I observe this and as I burrow into the text, and I hope I've shown you enough to just make the point, it appears that Jesus is actually moving to a place where there's more receptivity for his message. He leaves the Judean area because Herod the Tetrarch has thrown uh, John the Baptist into prison. It's not a real prophet-friendly place. It's not a real friendly place for people who stand up and speak about the kingdom of God. Now, is Jesus scared? Is he running scared? No, Jesus isn't scared. But Jesus knows something really important about ministry that we need to know too. If you're, ha- if you're wanting to have ministry with people and they're closing the door on you, it's better to find an open door than a closed door. That's what I see in this text. It's very, really simple. What Jesus is modeling for us here is that it's probably better to use the time you have and the efforts you have among people who are receptive and open to hearing the message. All of us want to be more effective in sharing our gospel message with people and, and, and expanding the ministry of the church. But here's something I've learned. Have you ever come across somebody that's kind of resistant, doesn't want to hear, doesn't want to know this God that we serve? Have you ever had that experience? And might I suggest to you that among people that are saying, you know, with the arm out, I'm tired, I don't want to hear this, leave me alone. Among those people, people that have shown resistance to us, might I suggest that putting more effort into telling them more things about the gospel uh, is probably not going to be too productive and probably pushes people further away? But what Jesus does is something that we ought to practice in our lives too. We ought to look for places of receptivity, places where people are not so pushed away or not wanting to push us away in terms of the message of the gospel. Sometimes we have to learn that the hard way. I remember years ago, back in the 80s, I was on staff here at the church. I was a youth pastor, and our senior pastor told us uh, every summer to take out these little advertisements of the church, walk your neighborhoods, uh, knock on doors if you can, let people know a little bit about the church, and maybe the Lord will open up an opportunity to share the gospel. And all of us got involved, well, I shouldn't say all of us, but a lot of us did, got involved in doing that. We'd go out in little clusters, families, or sometimes just on our own. And one day, Sunday afternoon, I decided I'm going to go out into the community, and so I grab these little flyers and I go out. This is, I don't know, late 1980s or so. And I come out into this one little area right down there by Al's Market off of Somerset. And I'm, I'm knocking at a door of a house and, and I've been to three or four houses, nobody home. And so I decide, you know, I'll knock at the door, nobody's home. And I hear someone in the backyard. And so, you know, there's a house situated where I didn't have to like go through a gate or anything. It was just a driveway next to the house and I could hear someone back there. So I turned to the driveway and I see the gentleman in his garage and so I kind of approach a little bit and I'm holding a flyer and I said, hi, I'm Larry and I'm from the Three Crosses and I just wanted to give you a little flyer. And he's, he's coming at me like, like he's got some business to take care of. I mean, he's like walking like this. I'm going, wow, this guy's excited about hearing about our ministry. And so I reach out my hand to shake his hand, and he takes my hand, and he pushes it aside, grabs the flyer, he's crinkling it up with this hand, and then watch this, then he grabs my ear. <laughs> I'm a grown man at this point. He grabs my ear, and he's like, he's like pulling me off his property. I go, what is going on here? Now listen, I'm a person of great discernment. 
I discovered in that moment, this guy is not open to the gospel. Now, I told you before, I'm a scaredy cat by nature, and this guy takes me off his property, and he's reaming me out. Don't you ever come on my property again. I never want to see you again. This guy is just, ah! And I'm thinking in my mind, wow, this guy has a story I wish I knew about. But you know, he wasn't telling that story. He just telling me the story to get off his property. So I'm like, it's cool, it's cool, no problem. You know, and I get off, and I'm walking, you know, further on down the road, and I'm just, I'm just shaking. You know, because if I wanted to, I could go back. No, anyway, so I... I go, and, and immediately I'm thinking, I'm just going to get in my car and go to a new area or go home. You know, I want to just go home. And the Holy Spirit just said, now wait a minute. You're going to let the response of that guy determine what might be somebody else's response? And so the Holy Spirit, nothing big, nothing real mystical, just said, you know, give it another try. So I go to a few more houses, and I've, I've done this before, but this was just a unique experience. I go to a couple more houses, you know, nothing happens. I go to another house, and guy opens the door, hi. You know, I'm shaking, hi, my name is Larry Mold, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm from the Church of the Three Crosses, and I hand this, he goes, oh, cool, you know, I just moved in this neighborhood. What do you got? Oh, what church is it? Oh, it's the Church of the Three Crosses. Oh, yeah, I've seen that church. You know, I kind of need a church. My family needs a church. Tell me more about your church. So I'm telling them about the church. What does your church believe? Tell them a little bit. About the, and I don't remember all of the conversation because I was, frankly, I was practically almost passed out at that moment. <laughs> but I remember what a contrast. This guy was just like, he had questions and he was so grateful. Man, thank you so much for coming by. I'm going to check this out. As he's closing the door, I can hear him. Hey, sweetheart. You know, he's telling his wife. Blah, blah, blah. Just I thought, what, what a difference. You know, it wasn't long after that, I had my kids <laughs> going to go out and try this again, you know, so I got my kids and we're going door to door and we come to a little place in Castor Valley right off of, I don't know, we're off of Anita somewhere and we're, we're going door to door and we come to this little apartment complex, actually it was a townhouse I think and this guy comes to the door and he's just, he's livid again. He just like, I'm f- thinking at first, do you have a brother? He lives over on Parson, you know, <laughs> like this guy is just, yeah, he's just, don't you see the sign? No solicitation. I've got my two little girls and I'm just going to invite him to church. And he's just like, no solicitation. You people are all the same. I go, this guy has another story too, you know. And, and so we walk off and my kids are like, daddy, we want to go home. <laughs> I'm thinking, I just ruined them for life for evangelism. I go, you know what? Let's just, let's just try another couple houses. We, we went down the street. We come to another house where this young lady answers the door. And we're just very meek. We just share with what, what we're doing. And, and she starts kind of tearing up a little bit. And I'm like, this is odd. And she said, well, you don't understand. And I don't exactly know, I remember the exact words. But she said something along the lines of, this morning, I am so messed up in my life. And this morning, I was just crying out that if there's a God, he would bring someone to my life that would tell me about him. I thought, I am so glad I just didn't go home that day. And I just had a beautiful opportunity to share with her. She prayed to receive Christ right there in the, in the doorway of this little house. She attended our church for a while before she moved out of the area. Didn't see her after that. But I just thought, what a beautiful experience. And sometimes, here's the deal. Sometimes we just get into the mode that, you know, we just keep cramming it down people that don't want what we're trying to give to them. And, and here's the problem in the evangelical church. We have, we have a great message, but we have a terribly lean audience. 
Now, what I mean by that is most of us, by the time we know Christ for five, seven, eight, ten years, we have lost all contact with non-Christian people because we're in the Christian, you know, this, the Christian gym, the Christian, you know, workout session, the Christian, Christian coffee, Christian, we're just all Christianized. And we, we just lose contact with our, oh, we're around non-Christians all the time, but we have no relationship with them. And so we got this great message, and then once in a while we just kind of eke it out, and the person says, ah, that's a bunch of baloney, you know, I don't want to hear about that, and whoop, you know, we're just like, we have no credible relationship strength with people, and so this is the problem of the evangelical church, we are becoming isolationists in our culture. And I see Jesus here, we're going to see this in the next point even more strongly, if you just would pick up the listening a little faster, we'll get there, but... We see, we see Jesus actually moving in a more, a, a more strategic way to get to places where the gospel can go out and go out in strength. And I, I see this is what Jesus is doing. He's not running scared. He's running to. He's going to places where there's more receptivity for the gospel. So let me just, let me put it back into the bottom line again. If you're involved in relationships where people are closing you out, you need to realize that putting more effort into that in terms of telling them the message, is not going to get you very far. What you need to do if someone's closing you out is invest more in the relationships. Build trust if you can. If you've got friends, neighbors, people in your community where you feel like you're shut down with the message that you want to bring to them, then you need to pour it on in the area of love. How can I serve you? How can I care for your needs? Let's go do something fun. Let's just get away from all this expectation that I'm going to lay a bunch of spiritual junk on your life. This is the problem in a lot of our lives. I was down at the AT&T store at the mall over Christmas. I was getting a different phone. And I don't know why it is when you you change phones, it takes like an hour and a half. I I just don't understand that. I mean, like, are they calling like the moon or something to try to figure this out? Anyway, I'm sitting at a table with a young man. He's just graduated from uh, the University of San Diego, and he's going to in a job to just kind of get him through. And, and it, he finds out in the course of just sort of the pleasantries of what do you do, what do you do for a living, all this stuff. And I just tell, I'm a local pastor. Oh, where are you pastor? Well, I'm a pastor up at the Three Crosses in Castor Valley. And he thought about it. Oh, yeah, I think I've driven by that church. And we're just talking. And, and I could tell he was a little resistant. So I'm just like, I'm not going to say anything to this guy. I'm not going to push anything. And so we're quiet for a long time. And then he kind of like, spills out a little bit. Yeah, well, I was raised in a Christian family. My parents forced me to go to church all the time. Do you force your kids to go to church? I go, well, yeah, I have done that. <laughs> I go, but I've learned, you know, that's not the way to do it. And, you know, so, and, and I'm just being really honest with this guy. And so, you know, more time goes on. He's doing his little computer thing and figuring out how much, you know, plans I can have in my life and all. And then he'll say like, um, what do you think about evolution? You know, what, what do you mean? Well, you know, I mean, I went to school and he goes, everything I learned in the church was about God creating everything. And, and I go to school and I learn about, you know, uh, Darwinian evolution. And I, I, I just kind of felt like, man, the scientists got it in, in the bag. They know what's going on. And we're Christians. Christians are dumb, you know. He just said, I had to walk away from it all. I just felt like I'd check my brains out. And I go, oh, that's interesting. I just kind of left it right there. He goes, well, well, seriously, what do you think? What do you teach? I go, well, I believe that God created. It's a supernatural process. Science doesn't talk about a supernatural process. I start with the supernatural. I go, wait, let me just back up for a minute. Where do you believe all of this came from if you don't believe that there's a God? Just, just give me your best shot at that. I thought about it for a minute. He goes, I have no idea. 
I go, well, the point is it comes back to faith, doesn't it? It comes back to, I believe in a supernatural God who created and made something happen supernaturally. And I think science actually corroborates with that because I don't see any transitional species moving around us today, you know, um, unless you want to identify yourself that way. I don't see people <laughs> as a, a transitional species, you know. So I, just, I just teasing them, playing with them a little bit. I said, so I just believe in a supernatural God that science sort of corroborates, but when you start with no supernatural God, you got to come up with something pretty elaborate. And I think that's what science has done. And I think it sounds very compelling, but it's kind of, you know, the equation's not quite there. And he kind of smiled a little bit, and then he goes, hmm. He goes, so, so what do you believe about Jesus? So, so here we are at this day, and we're having this, you know, I'm thinking, this is better than a counseling session I have in my office <laughs> with a guy from AT&T that's just asking all these questions. And I realize, here's a guy that's receptive. Started out a little hard, but he really turned soft. And then he says to me, he goes, you know, I've got a sister, and every time I'm around her, she just talks nothing about Jesus. She ever, I mean, she only talks about Jesus, nothing else. And I get in the car, and she wants to know if I've been thinking about Jesus, and she's driving me crazy. I just want to get away from her. And I said, you know what I bet she was praying this morning? I bet she was praying that you would run into a Christ follower that wasn't her. He goes, you know, you're right. I think that's what she was doing. I invite this guy to 613. As far as I know, he may be already coming because this guy was just ripe, open. His heart was just, I could tell God was working his life. And I walk out of that store. I gave him my card. Hey, if you ever want to talk, here's my email. I'd love to have a chat with you more. Have coffee together. You know, whatever. And just gave it to him. He's not contacting me, but I think the Lord used it whatever he, way he wanted to use it. But here's the point. Don't miss this point. Where there's receptivity, you have an audience for the message. And if you don't have an audience, then what good is the message? And this is what I see Jesus doing here. I see open doors. And by the way, that's why we do a lot with like Christmas time and outreaches because people are just a little bit more open. Oh, Christmas, I won't go to church, but I'll go to a Christmas program. Sure, I'll go. You'll hear the gospel. Some of you are sitting here. You've come to the Christmas program or to an Easter program, and you're coming back checking out, what does this church believe? What do we believe? Or you're sitting next to a friend today who's been just living the life of Christ before you for many, many months, and, and recently they said, why don't you come and check out my church with me? And you're sitting with them today, right now, this morning, and, and you're here because of seeing a Christ follower, the way they've lived their life. Every week, I look for opportunities to invite someone to church. And sometimes I feel like people are very open, but they're busy. They're not quite ready to do that yet. I'll just keep inviting. Sometimes I invite people that say, I'd never go to that, or, you know, don't ask me. Or they, you could just tell the shade's coming down. And what I realize, if I know those people, what they need is a little bit more of my love, my attention, my no, a normal, personal response to getting to know a person, loving on that person, so that they don't think they're a project, so they don't think it's just all about Larry inviting them to come to church so that they become a Christ follower. I mean, do people in your life know that you're, they're loved because you follow Jesus, regardless of whether or not they follow Jesus? It's a big question. That's why we dump a lot of resources into student ministries and children's ministry here at Three Crosses because there's a receptivity, there's an openness, a door is open for the gospel. So with that, let's think about what Jesus is doing here. Let's go back to the text, verses 13. Um, he ends up in this area called Capernaum, which is in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And 
And I've suggested to you that he did this because of open door, but he also does this because he's fulfilling prophecy that said, Isaiah chapter 9, that this is where Messiah would come from, that the, the light would be shown in a dark place. And I want you to, if you have your own Bible, I want you to look at the word darkness in verse 16 and the word death. I want you to circle those two words because those two words sort of give us a, 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 whiz, or a little bit of a wisdom into the mind of Christ in terms of, of what he sees in terms of missional focus, which is our second point if you're taking notes. We not only need to look for open doors, but we need to maintain a missional focus. Maintain a missional focus. Um, this area where Jesus settles down in is, is an area known um, for spiritual darkness. I said a few weeks ago that the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, those are tribes in Israel. Remember the 12 sons of Jacob? Well, Naphtali and, and Zebulun were, were two of the sons. And this area in Israel was known for its mysticism, its... its uh, uh, syncretism with other gods and other cults. Uh, when the children of Israel moved into that area, it was the land of Zebulun and Naphtali that were known for not really eradicating the evil forces in those areas. And then by the time you come to after the exile, several hundred years later, you've got uh, all kinds of the nations from around the world coming in, Assyria, Babylon, coming into this region of the world, the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to the point where if you were a Jew, you hated the thought of being known for having come from this area. It was like a black mark on your, on your credentials. It was a place known for derision. And you remember, that's why Philip said when he heard that the Messiah, Jesus, was from Nazareth, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because nobody believed as a Jew that anything good could come out of Nazareth. But what I see here in Jesus' ministry is he's actually going to a place of great darkness and death because that's a place where ministry needs to happen. Uh, we live in a dark area. The Bay Area is a dark area. I know pastors that are in the Midwest, in the South, and, uh, and there's, there's darkness there too, but I think there's a particular darkness to the to the western part of the United States and specifically on the west coast, Los Angeles and, and, and San Francisco. And we have a reputation for being immoral and godless. This is a, the area that we're living in. And, and personally, some of, that, some of us are bothered by that, but in reality, I think we're in a great place for ministry. Did you hear that? I, I think we're in the best place for ministry. You know why? Because death and darkness is everywhere around us. And, and that's true anywhere you go where the gospel hasn't gone. I know that's true. But I think that there's a particular darkness that is in our region that is very acute. I like the words of C.T. Studd. And you got to like that name too. How'd you like to be Pastor Studd? Wouldn't that be a great, I would love that name. Well, C.T. Studd was a missionary to China in the late 1900s. And he had a great, what he was known for having said, among many other things, he said this, some want to live within the sound of church and chapel bell. I want to start a rescue mission within a yard of hell. I love that. I mean, that just kind of fires me up. When I think about where we are situated here at the Three Crosses, just a stone's throw from this place called the Avenues where there's gang warfare going on all over the place and prostitution and human trafficking within literally five minutes from our church. Or you can look at places of Hayward or in Oakland or Richmond and you could just list Union City. There are places that are so dark 
And I know police officers will tell you from a crime standpoint where the darkness is in our communities. But there's, there's not just crime. There's white-collar crime. There's, there's, there's trafficking. There's all, just read the police blotters. You see it all around us. There's a spiritual uh, um, lack in this community. And, and with that comes huge opportunity and by the way, you need to know as a church family that we are not just interested in reaching Castro Valley for the gospel. We want the gospel to go out into the entire Bay Area. We want to reach every corner if we can. And, and God is really moving us to take some strong steps with that in the next couple of years. I don't have time. I can't go over it right here. But I, I want you to get excited about the fact that we can extend the ministry of three crosses beyond this local area. And there are beautiful churches all around us, but there is a huge need for the gospel everywhere we look in the Bay Area. It's a target-rich environment for the gospel. But it doesn't come because we just lob out the hand grenades loaded with, you know, spiritual tracks. It comes because we invest in the lives of individuals and we get to know people and we love people and we build a trust to where people will listen and we do that through uh, food pantries and homeless ministry and we reach out into our community. So we say we love this community. We want to make a difference in this community. And some of us here are bothered because we see people that are coming up to the church who don't have the finances or struggling to make ends meet month to month and, or people that are on the streets. It makes us a little uncomfortable. Sorry, we love our community and we want to reach out to our community the best way we can. And I'm not trying to start some, you know, politicalization of anything. I'm just saying... I'm saying we are passionate about reaching lost people of every category, the people that are the up and the people that are the down. It doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what economic back background they have. If they need Jesus, they need Jesus, they need Jesus. And we're excited about that at Three Crosses. And, and we see that with Jesus. This is what he's doing. He's fulfilling prophecy, but he's go, he has a missional focus which brings me to the third thing I observe in this text, and that is not only do we look for open doors, not only do we maintain missional focus, but we make the message clear. Verse 17, look at what Matthew says. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And we're gonna come back to this many times in this series, so I won't take a lot of time with it here, but let me just remind us and sum up the idea of repentance. Repentance is turning from and turning toward at the same time. Repentance isn't just stopping what you're doing that's wrong, it's moving forward and doing what's right. Does that make sense? So it's, it's a turning from and a turning toward. And Jesus, this was clear in Jesus' preaching ministry. He says you gotta turn from sin and you gotta turn to me. And that's a clear message that needs to go out of every church and that's not always very clear in the church. Our message is about Jesus and what specifically about Jesus, that we need to leave our life of sin and that we need to walk toward the one who alone is righteous, Jesus who is the Christ. And Jesus, I love what Matthew says about his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this whole phrase, the kingdom of heaven, all through the gospel of Matthew, we've said it's synonymous with kingdom of God. Matthew's sensitive to the Jews who would say, who would not be able to say kingdom of God because they, you couldn't use the proper name for God. So Matthew just kind of saves them for being able to read this and say this is the kingdom of heaven, it's the kingdom of God, same thing we're talking about. 
And in the Jewish mind, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God was sort of this thing that they were awaiting for. It was an eschatological moment in history. There was going to come this moment where boom, the kingdom of God arrived and Messiah was there and righting all the wrongs and now it's utopia and the Romans are away and it's, it's the kingdom of God and it's of his people and, and this, they were waiting for this one kind of blast. But we know and Jesus tells us that that's not really the way the kingdom comes. It comes in a quietness. It comes like a mustard seed. And we're gonna get to the parables, the kingdom parables that all describe the unique mystery of the kingdom that it's not this big splash it's this entrance, it's, it's sort of the, it's, it's come, but it's not yet fully come. And when Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again from the grave, he put a great, he demolished the kingdoms of Satan and he rendered Satan powerless. But watch this, the kingdom of God came and yet the kingdom of God is still coming. It's near and it's, it's, it's already, but it's not yet. This is the mystery. This is the weird part. And let, you say, what, what are you talking about? Let me just put it in a practical sense. We were just now singing a few minutes ago praises to Jesus. You could sense the spirit of God, couldn't you? It was a beautiful thing to praise the Lord and worship his name. And, and, and maybe today is not the day for you, but some of us today, tears, we sense the presence of God. This is beautiful. I want to be, oh, God, your kingdom is amazing. And then tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock when we're sitting at our boss's office and he's kind of chewing us out for something that didn't go well over the last week or some project that we've been working on, we suddenly don't feel like the kingdom's very near, right? Or you've been dealing with a habit in your life and finally you got victory and man, it's hallelujah, praise and God has given me this breakthrough and then boom, you fall down. You, you commit the sin again. You realize that you're still back in the same problem. You still got this issue with some addiction or some problem in your life and you go from kingdom to realizing the kingdom's not here yet. Or you're in a marriage that seems one day to be beautiful and the next day it's just a, a, a train wreck that's happening and you're going, God, what is going on? And here's what's going on. We are in the kingdom that is here. It's already, but it's not fully here yet. And we sense that tension, don't we? I love what, I love what we read in, the, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll just put it on the screen quick and we gotta, we gotta wrap things up here. Paul writes, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. That's the tension. We're there, but we're not there. We made it, oh, but we're not quite. We feel so strong. Oh, I feel so weak. I am so excited. Oh, I'm so depressed. We go in those kinds of swings all the time because we're in a kingdom that's already, but a kingdom that's not yet. Beloved, don't be discouraged if you feel like you're in one of those low swings right now. It's a reminder to us that God's still doing his work. And that means that the message, that's, I hope that message comes through clear here too. Because we're not always riding on the cloud. And there are some ministries that never say that. You should always be on the cloud. What are you doing down? You're a Christ follower. You're a son of the kingdom. Well, that's true. That's great. But it's, we're just not always riding on the cloud. Yes, if I can get my heart and mind back where, where God has told me I am, then yes. But there's this tension that's always in my life. I feel it. Don't you? Which brings us to the last thing. and We'll kind of wrap it up here. And I see this investment of our lives personally. And, you know, 
I see here where Jesus walks along and it just stuns me in verse 18 that when he sees Peter and Andrew, he says, follow me and I'll follow you. When I was a young Christ follower and didn't understand the, the, the gospel harmony, the harmony of the gospel uh, between all the letters of the, or all the writers of scripture, I always thought it looked like this. Jesus is walking down the road. He sees two guys he'd never met before and he says, hey, you guys, well, I want you to follow me. Leave everything behind and give your life to me. Come on, let's go. And these guys said, absolutely. And they took off everything and they just started following Jesus. That's the way I used to read it. But as you read the harmony of the gospels, you realize that's not the way it worked. John chapter one tells us that Jesus had relationships with Peter and Andrew long before this took place. He had invested his life into these guys. So he came to a point where he said, I'm gonna put it all on the table. I want, you to, I want you to leave the stuff that you have lived your life for. And I want you to transfer all of your knowledge about that and I want to transform you to take what you've known about fishing to make you effective in the kingdom work for me. I want to transform your life. I want to take your life as, a, as an accountant, as a CEO. I want to take your life as a service person. I want to take your life as a firefighter or a police officer. I want to take your life as somebody who, who helps and serves people. And I want to transfer all of that into an, an energy and a focus to make a kingdom impact. Will you lay all that down and, and, and put it in my hand so that I can shape it and form it so that you can be a kingdom worker? That's what he's saying to these guys. And to do that, that meant these guys had to change the way they looked at their lives too. Have you come to that place in your life where you said, God, every part of me, the way I was, the way you crafted me, the way you've put your spirit in me, the way you've given me desires and passions, the way you've educated me, all of these things, I want to push it all into the center of the table so that I can be used to, to make an impact in the kingdom of God. And if that's what you've done in your life, that's what that's what has to happen if there's going to be a kingdom impact. You've got to push it all and you've got to put all the chips in the middle of the table and say, all of my life, every part of it, Lord, is yours. It belongs to you. And some of us are kind of playing the game, saying, a little chip here, a little chip there. And God's saying, when are you going to be all in? When are you going to shove it all in and say, I'm going to, I'm going to run the risk of, in fact, losing my life that I might gain it? That's what Jesus said, right? He who saves his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for me and for my kingdom will in fact find it. Well, those are observations that I see in this text and we could have talked a lot more about all of it, but that's okay. Next week, watch this. Next week, we're gonna see what happens when there is open doors, missional focus, uh, a clear focus, a clear message and an invested life. What happens to ministries like that? Pastor Danny Strange will bring us that. Let's go to the Lord.